0: I'm Tisha Bader and in the news, the visit of US President Joe Biden to Israel, which appears to have been significant and historic in a number of ways. Biden met with Israeli Prime Minister Yair Lapid, President Isaac Herzog, and others. He signed a declaration reaffirming the security commitment of the United States to Israel, which specifically mentions Iran. He was presented the Presidential Medal of Honor by Herzog. His visit also bringing with it reportedly a chance at possible normalization with Saudi Arabia, where he headed after Israel. And he was even on hand to kick off the 21st Maccabiya Games in Jerusalem, the first U.S. president to be present at the games. So what did the Biden visit do or not do for the U.S.-Israel relationship, for issues that the two countries perhaps don't completely see eye to eye on, and for the future of U.S.-Israel ties and others in the region? Well, to help us answer this question, offering his perspective and decades of experience is Ambassador Dani Ayalon. Dani served as Israel's ambassador to the U.S. from 2002 to 2006. He is a former member of Israel's Knesset and served as Israel's deputy foreign minister and played a leading role in peace negotiations regarding the Israeli-Palestinian conflict in the early 2000s. Danny, thank you so much for joining us here on JBS.
1: My pleasure, Tisha.
0: Thank you. So, Danny, you have a wealth of experience in in the U.S.-Israel dynamic, in relations between a number of presidents and Israeli prime ministers. What do you think the tone of this visit was and and how do you see it in the significance of that history?
1: Okay, Tisha, well, I would say that by definition, any and every presidential uh, visit, American president visit in the United States is a major event, is uh, of strategic importance because it uh, elevates uh, Israel's status in the region and beyond and certainly helps and uh, um, emboldens, I would say, Israeli uh, deterrence against any foes because uh, also the optics in this visit uh, shows that the bond between Israel and the United States, which is a very natural one. Uh, the alliance between our two countries is natural because uh, the two countries are um, like-minded in in terms of ideology, uh, believing in democracy, freedom, freedom, uh, of course, uh, freedom of speech and everything else. And we share the same um, strategic interests. Uh, we have uh, the same allies. We have the same uh, enemies that are trying to uh, to hurt us. So all this together puts it in a very, very um, uh, specific uh, context whereby uh, foes should beware and allies should rejoice, I would say. And in this uh, Um, With this, I would say that the visit up to Jerusalem in Jeddah certainly helped a new uh, defense architecture in the region against Iran mostly, but also against uh, radical um, terror um, uh, of uh, radical uh, Islamic terrorism like uh, ISIS and uh, Al-Qaeda. Both Iran, the Ayatollahs of Iran and the uh, terrorists. From Al Qaeda or uh, ISIS, uh, for that matter Hezbollah, which are, are just uh, in bed, of course, with uh, Iran and uh, and Hamas. All of them uh, have their objective to bring down not only Israel but also the moderate regimes of the Sunni uh, countries in the region, starting with Saudi Arabia, all the way down to the uh, to, to to Morocco uh, on the uh, uh, northern um, Africa. So it was ceremonial, it was festive, but it also had concrete um, content and substantive uh, issues that were discussed. You mentioned uh, Tisha, the uh, Jerusalem declaration, whereby Israel and the United States will never allow Iran to be nuclear. And um, what was uh, missing from Israel's point of view was to put a credible military threat to Iran by the United States, United States did not go as far at this point, but I think the road is quite paved that in case that uh, Iran does not come uh, back to the table for uh, the agreement or uh, signing an agreement on on actually curbing and stopping its uh, illegal um, nuclear activities, then of course we will have to revisit uh, the issue. But meanwhile, a lot of uh, concrete measures of coordination between the militaries was discussed and uh, especially what is called the MEED, Middle East uh, Air Defense, which will actually combine together Israel capabilities with those of Saudi Arabia and the Gulf countries uh, in terms of intelligence, deterrence, and if needed, interception of any uh, incoming ballistic missiles from Iran.
0: So let's talk about Iran for a moment and the Jerusalem declaration, as you mentioned, which also spoke about in general, the US commitment to Israel security, but certainly, and I think from what you're saying, the intention of it was most likely a statement against Iran. Am I right?
1: Absolutely. You see, at at this point, uh, these uh, are the Iranians whose uh, entrenchments and uh, actually uh, belligerence is the one preventing an agreement. Um, for Israel's, uh, from Israel's point of view, uh, even the uh, agreement that uh, maybe the United States is ready to sign is not good enough. It's not stronger and it's not uh, uh, longer than the JCPOA, the former agreement with Iran that was signed during Obama's uh, uh, administration in 2015. But even that very uh, weak agreement is uh, not acceptable by Iran, which uh, in a way may, uh, I would say, tilt the balance. So more um, countries, not just in the region, uh, every country in the region, especially the Arab countries, understand the threat from Iran. But it is important to put a credible military threat because the Iranians, the Ayatollahs, they yield and respond only to credible threats. Um, and we have the proof. The historic proof is that in 2003, it was the first time that uh, and so far the only time that the Iranians voluntarily uh, suspended uh, all its illegal nuclear activities. Why? Because it was flanked on both sides by the United States uh, military in Iraq, uh, on their Iraqi border and on the Afghani uh, border, and they stopped it. So we need to put this military threat and um, Iran may try or always will overplay its cards. And here, maybe the United States and NATO will understand that only by military threat, we will stop Iran, which is a very, very dangerous. country.
0: Well, it's interesting, Donny, because the, the differences between the US and Israel stand sometimes seem, small uh, for example president biden did say in an interview with it, i think it was israel's channel 12 news the day before he arrived um it was aired the the night he got to israel um when the reporter i think it was yonit levy asked him if the us would ever use force in iran and he said as a last resort yes so he didn't say that But you're saying it wasn't put in writing. And that is because Lapid was also, again, speaking, diplomacy is not enough. And Biden was saying, I think diplomacy can work. But it seems obvious that the U.S. is saying until a certain point they would use diplomacy, that they would consider military force, again, as a last resort. So you're saying that's not a strong enough position that it should be in writing somewhere now for Iran to get the message now since this situation is just ramping up as we speak.
1: Well, it is a work in progress. Yes, it is good that these things were said. It's not enough just to uh, have it on uh, on verbal, um, you know, um, uh, state, but also uh, in in writing. And I believe that the United States reserves, you know, of course, uh, uh, all options, and uh, it will uh, react to uh, Iranians. Uh, Position. Unfortunately, at this point, the key to an agreement with Iran is in Tehran. So the Iranians, at will, uh, can decide to sign what is now uh, on the table for them, which for Israel is not uh, is not enough. Um, or they can continue to uh, uh, breach all their international obligations and uh, and not sign, and this will have to. Uh, this will necessitate a new uh, decision, a decisive uh, declaration by uh, Washington, uh, but uh, coupled and augmented by um, steps on the ground.
0: And I want to talk a bit about uh, about Prime Minister Lapid, who is new in his in his position. Just uh, just a few weeks. Is your? I wonder if you think that the visit of President Biden would have looked any differently if Naftali Bennett was still the prime minister? Did it change the dynamic at all? Did it change the tone of the visit at all?
1: No, the, the short answer to this question is no, because really the um, the U.S.-Israel uh, very, very firm, special uh, relationship extends beyond personalities. and. Uh, it really doesn't matter almost who occupies the Oval Office in the White House or the Prime Minister's uh, office in in Jerusalem. The interests are the ones that uh, um, I would say dictate uh, the visit and uh, the uh, agenda on the visits of the, and the developments at the time, and of course the long and deep um, alliance and the shared values. So in that respect, it is really a people to peoples um, bond. Uh, It's not just a relationship between governments. And here we are, you know, Israel, of course, we're very glad that grassroots America mostly supports Israel. And this is manifested, of course, in uh, in Congress, both in the Senate and the House of Representatives, in the administration, And uh, also in many uh, non-governmental organizations, be it evangelical Christians, Jewish, some Hispanic, um, um, I would say also industry and the tech community, there is a great uh, uh, connection, close connection between Israel tech and American tech communities. So all this together is really a tapestry uh, that really puts our two nations very much together, and this is irrespective of who are the leaders in either side of the ocean.
0: That's such a good point. What was lovely, though, is is Biden has a history with Israel. This was his 10th visit, uh, which is quite remarkable, and he referred several times to the first time he was in Israel in 1973 and met Golda Meir, who was then prime minister, and met uh, Yitzhak Rabin. And the impact that had on him and that was just a a lovely sort of personal connection that was highlighted several times throughout the visit.
1: Oh, he he is a remarkable and warm warm person. I had the the, the privilege of uh, knowing and meeting him when I was in Washington and he was then a senator at the Foreign Affairs Committee. So we had a lot of uh, business uh, together. He has always been very kind, very supportive, uh, really seeing um, the, um, the world from the same outlook that we do here. He calls himself still a Zionist. And he said, you don't have to be a Jew to be a Zionist. And I truly believe that. And um, he made a special gesture at the Yad Vashem with two survivors uh, from the Holocaust. And uh, you could see how he relates to them, how he really deeply feels. Uh, he has deep feelings for the, for the Jewish people the I just hope that um, he is not uh, the last Mohicans of uh, democrat uh, leaders and politicians because we see new generations that do not have the same depth of understanding and um, of the importance of Israel to the United States and vice versa and uh, and, and we need that uh, unfortunately we see uh, among uh, the the Democrats, although, of course, the the mainstream Democrats are very much pro-Israel. But there is a small but very noisy, vociferous, uh, progressive um, element that uh, I'm not sure uh, understand the interest and is really ignorant of the historic relations and the importance for the two countries to continue them.
0: Let me ask you about that, Donny, because I think you're referring to certain members of the squad, as they are known, who have been very vocal in their anti-Israel sentiments. Do you feel that there is any room, that there is any space to have a dialogue with these members of Congress to, to say, we'd like you to come to Israel, we would like you to Have an opportunity to dialogue with Israeli leaders, with Jews, with Arabs, with Palestinians. Do you think there's any room for that kind of a conversation, or is it past that point in your opinion?
1: Well, I would love to have a dialogue, but a serious dialogue without any bias, without any preconditions. If uh, those members, as you mentioned, of the squad, call Israel an apartheid state and call for uh, boycotting Israel without even understanding the basic elements of the conflict here, uh, and and not really relating to all the inequities of the Palestinians who are, uh, I say, the major perpetrators here of uh, not just the terror and incitement and propaganda against Israel, uh, but also they are the ones who blocked every time peace initiatives and uh, peace uh, overtures by Israel. If those, um, those members of the squad will come here you know, without any, uh, I would say, prejudice, I would welcome this very much. And I would also call for the majority, the silent majority of Democrats, including the Jewish uh, Democrats, that uh, should not remain silent when these are blatant lies skewed by these uh, members of the squad. Again, I, I hope it's just out of ignorance and not of something else more nefarious like uh, uh, anti-Zionism or anti-Semitism, but they should not be unanswered, whatever they accuse Israel. of.
0: So let's talk about the Palestinians for a moment and Biden's visit. And Biden, of course, we know, met with uh, PA President Mahmoud Abbas. Uh, they met in Bethlehem and... Biden then when he went to Saudi Arabia, the Hamas launched several rockets at Israel. Um, what do you make of how the Palestinians see Biden's visit and what, how, how Abbas sees it? And certainly Hamas with sending rockets, we understand that they were not pleased with the visit of the president uh, to Israel and the West Bank. How do you see the Palestinians in this whole equation?
1: Well, the Palestinians feel, and rightly so, that they uh, came out empty-handed with this uh, visit because they were expecting a lot. They expected the United States to reopen uh, the consulate, American consulate in in Jerusalem, which would be actually in violation of uh, uh, the um, the U.S. Uh, Congress resolution of recognizing Jerusalem as Israel's capital and actually moving, you know, with the former administration uh, moving the American embassy uh, to Jerusalem. Uh, They also uh, wanted all kinds of, uh, um, I would say benefits and political support, but how can you uh, really uh, support what is a terroristic uh, entity At, at this point? It's not just Hamas. Hamas is obviously a terror organization, but also Abu Mazen and the Palestinian Authority. They are paying millions, tens of millions of uh, uh, dollars to terrorists and members of Palestinian terrorists who killed Israelis, actually um, giving them more encouragement to kill. Uh, They are the ones who are uh, trying to uh, take Israel uh, to uh, uh, International uh, Court of uh, Justice for crimes that they are responsible for. So, and they are not recognizing the legitimacy of the Jewish state, they still teach uh, in their curriculum uh, in schools from first grade and on that uh, Israel is a pariah state, has no roots, should not be here, and that the Palestinians should actually take out the entire land. The PDS movement is uh, not just uh, criticizing uh, Israeli policies. You know, it's legitimate to criticize anybody's policies, but to undermine the very existence of the state when they call the BDS and also the Palestinians, what do they call to free, yeah, free Palestine, as if there was ever a free Palestine or a Palestinian state, but they call to free Palestine, and listen to that, Tisha, from the river to the sea, that means from the Jordan River all the way to the Mediterranean, which means the entire landmass where Israel is. So they're not ready for uh, concessions and compromises and the two state solutions that we were uh, actually accepting too many uh, times in the past. And and for that reason, they should not and cannot expect American support. American um, uh, diplomacy in the region has always been for decency, for truth, and of course, for stability and and prosperity, which can uh, uh, come about only if the Palestinians will renounce terrorism and will start actively fight against terrorism.
0: And having said that, Danny, I'm just going to ask that, you know, there are signs here and there, um, it seems, in the news that there are also positive aspects of the Israeli-Palestinian relationship. Uh, Defense Minister Benny Gantz recently met um, with Abbas for, I think it's the third time in the last year or something. We do see security coordination here and there. I'm assuming they're also, excuse me. I'm assuming there are also things that we don't hear about, given everything you said, um, which is factual. Do you see any possibility, though, of still at this point, let's say in the next several years, working towards a two state solution, seeing if there is a common ground that can be found? Let's say the Palestinians said, "Okay, we're going to stop. Paying the salaries to the terrorists and we need Israel to do XYZ. Is is there room for that kind again, is there room for that kind of dialogue? Do you see um, in the near future?
1: There is always room for dialogue. Uh, there's no dialogue with terrorists who are there to kill you. You know, you cannot negotiate with anyone who wants to kill you. And what do you negotiate about? You know, the terms of the killing, of course not. But uh, certainly, in the long term, uh, I would like to see a, a new and reformed Palestinian leadership which is doing away with the rhetoric, with the incitement of the past, and also with the support of terrorism. In that uh, sense, uh, I am not uh, opposing uh, our Minister of Defense meeting with uh, Abu Mazen because it's uh, it has a purpose to uh, actually... Um, increase the um, the uh, security uh, coordination between Israel and the Palestinian Authority against a common, common enemy. As much as the uh, Palestinian Authority is a real um, sworn enemy of Israel, and I would say the Jewish people, we still have a common enemy, Israel and the Palestinian Authority, which is Hamas, You know, which is uh, this uh, radical, um, uncompromising, unyielding, uh, radical uh, um, Muslim group supported by Iran, of course. They are out to oust the Palestinian Authority from the entire Judea and Samaria, West Bank, Ramallah, just as they did in 2007 in Gaza. They took over in a coup in Gaza, and they would like to do it also in Judea and Samaria. Of course, Israel cannot uh, allow that. We saw what happens in Gaza when they actually uh, made it, built it as a, a launching pad of rockets against Israel. We cannot afford it if it was also coming from the Ramallah area, the Judea and Samaria area, uh, actually having the entire country uh, at, the, at their um, you know, mercy. And uh, Abu Mazen himself, uh, also, he would like to cling to power. He would like to uh, uh, cling to life. Because this is what the Hamas people do to their enemies. They just kill them. Uh, so there is a common um, interest here. And maybe, this is what is my hope, that within this uh, uh, common uh, interest, uh, which is right now quite tenuous and uh, narrow, but maybe out of this, more and more cooperation will grow on other issues, on economic and civil issues, the culture and uh, And maybe by by that time, we will have a better attitude where the Palestinians do accept Israel's right to be here in our own homeland. And if this is the case, Israel is ready for far-reaching concessions vis-a-vis the Palestinians.
0: Well, it's interesting that you put it in those terms, because getting back to Biden's visit and, and him going to Saudi Arabia, which I want to ask you about in a moment, the normalization agreements that Israel has made with several Arab countries, with the UAE, with Bahrain, um, with Morocco, and you talk about this this common enemy And in that situation, it's, you know, it seems to be more about Iran, but that can open a door, as you said, to cooperation, to agreements that perhaps we wouldn't have imagined 10, 20, 30 years ago. So maybe there is some way towards that with the Palestinians as well.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I am uh, very uh, optimistic. Um, I believe just as we saw change of hearts in uh, Saudi Arabia, which is the largest and the most important Arab country uh, towards Israel, you know, uh, also as a result of the Biden's uh, visit, we have uh, overflights now, uh, Israeli uh, airliners uh, can fly over Saudi Arabia uh, airspace. Um, in a few months, we will have di- uh, direct flights from uh, Ben Gurion airport to uh, Jeddah and Riyadh for Israeli Muslims, Arabs, who want to uh, do the pilgrimage in the Hajj in uh, in uh, in Mecca, Mecca, these are baby baby steps, but certainly they paved the road for a much larger um, normalization agreement, as we do have now with um, many Arab countries. Uh, It was Egypt to begin with, and then Jordan. Now we have full peace with Bahrain, with the United Arab Emirates, uh, with Morocco. Uh, Sudan is uh, coming also to full normalizations, and the Saudis also are a few steps uh, behind, but again, the interest, the common interest of security in the region against Iran bind us all together, but it's not only that. I think more importantly is a common destiny and a common future. You see, we live in an area, well, in the world, I would say, that um, the the, the main challenges for future generations would be uh, food security, water availability, affordable energy, In all these areas, Israel is a leading technological power, and we are very much willing to share uh, this uh, technology and this know-how with our new friends in the region. So this is also another pillar that uh, puts together this new alliance in a good shape.
0: And hopefully all of this, it seems, since it started up until now, that it's a ripple effect, that things open up, that there are new opportunities, that's are mutually beneficial for both countries for israel and for whichever arab country you're speaking of that then people can see the, the positivity the validation of normalizing with israel and hopefully this continues to ripple and spread further
1: absolutely and and, and this is you know what uh, we have to uh, to give uh, credit to to trump I know he's very controversial but one thing he did understand, uh, uh, the realities in, in the Middle East. He did understand that all former presidents uh, were trying and they did their best uh, to try to, um, to bring about peace in the Middle East. But their concept was first and foremost, you have to crack the Palestinian-Israeli uh, conflict. And this is uh, the, the only condition for the larger peace. What Trump said, no, we cannot just go from the uh, from the center, you know, which is hard to crack to the periphery, but we'll do it the other way around. We'll go from the periphery to the center. So first and foremost, we'll have peace with those countries which is easier to make peace with, and maybe they will persuade the Palestinians who will come last.
0: Danny, thank you so much, as always, for sharing your, your experience, your perspective. It's always so interesting and, and so helpful, and we appreciate your time tremendously.
1: Thank you very much, Fisha. We'll see you soon, hopefully.
0: I hope so. Danny Ayalon is former ambassador from Israel to the United States. We thank him so much for his time. Here on JBS. And thank you, as always, to our director, Sloan Copeland, managing director, Dara Golub, technical manager, Michael Paley, transmissions manager, John McDevitt, and to our producer, Carol Lilienthal. And thank you for watching In the News. Be well.